good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we're a couple of minutes after 12.30, Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday, the 6th of May. Um, welcome to Conversations with Thought Leaders. Um, my name is David Webley, Founder and Managing Director of Granite Consulting. Today, I'm joined and delighted to be joined by Megumi Miki, Founder of the Quiet, Quietly Powerful Movement. We're both joining this call from Melbourne and our respective homes. They ha- happen to actually be in the same suburb. I hope everyone's doing well. You know, it's been a really tough time for so many, and I certainly feel grateful for, um, you know, um, my situation and my team's situation. Um, So many people doing it so hard. We're about eight weeks into our uh, remote working program, and, you know, it's it's not all been plain sailing, but we're beginning to work through the balance between remote working and on-site working and the other side, subject to government advice, and we're actually starting as a, as a group some small safe trials uh, in the city this week. I was actually there for a few hours myself this morning, uh, attending to a few things I needed to do. But when you hear Scott Morrison talk yesterday that over a million Australians have lost employment and several million unemployed in the UK and over 30 million in the US, you know, it really, you know, explains and, and tells a story on how hard the other side of this pandemic is going to be. Um, so, and having spent over 20, 20 years in the employment business, you know, we're really committed to making sure that Granite can pay, play our small part in the recovery on the other side. Um, so the subject of Quietly Powerful really resonates with me. Over the last couple of years, um, through yoga and meditation, I've really learned that by taking some time to be quiet and looking introspectively, you can really find some strength to take out into the world. But don't just take it from me. Other leaders that find time for quiet introspection include, and I've got a list here, Bill Gates, George Lucas of the Star Wars fame, Paul McCartney from the Beatles, obviously, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Michael Jordan, The Last Dance is excellent on Netflix, for those that haven't seen it, the late Kobe Bryant, Tim Ferriss, Ray Dalio, Russell Brand and Joe Rogan. So there's a really illustrious group of people, and that's really just the, the tip of the iceberg. Um, before I uh, hand over to Megumi and go through a bit of a bio as well, just a couple of bits of housekeeping. Um, there's a lot of people on this call today, around 70 or thereabouts, we believe. Um, so if I can ask for videos off and microphones off, um, Megumi and myself will be the uh, video participants. And I'll actually turn mine off uh, during Megumi's presentation to make sure that uh, there's no technology issues there. Um, questions, they can be sent in chat. So if you go to the bottom of your Zoom bar, there'll be a chat option. If you click that up, there's a questions option. You can submit your questions uh, via that. And please don't wait till the end to submit them. Feel, to, feel free to submit them as soon as they come into, into your mind. And then at the end, there'll be a Q&A session. Um, I think that's it. Oh, the other thing we do at the end of these events, we've got a, a book draw, so a copy of Megumi's book, Quietly Powerful, and one of our legendary granite keep cups. Um, by way of a brief bio on Megumi. So Megumi, as I said, is the founder of the Quietly Powerful movement and author of, of, author of the same book. She works with leaders to inspire, not just drive performance, uh, and for the past 20, 20 years, she's focused on change, business strategy, organisational and leadership development. In founding the Quietly Powerful Movement, Megumi recognises and provides a platform 
for what I really believe is the future of contemporary leadership. Uh, Megumi helps quieter professionals succeed by encouraging them to appreciate their quieter side as a strength. So without further ado, I'll hand over to Megumi. Thank you, David. And uh, thank you, everyone, for joining in. One of the things that I have found doing this work of Quietly Powerful is a question that I got asked one time, how can quiet be powerful? And so this is the question that I'll be answering today. So let me share you a slide. So particularly in this current crisis and at times when things are chaotic and complex, I do believe that Quietly Powerful is useful. But first up, I just want you to imagine a time, say I understand many of you are leaders, so let's say you're sitting in a, a performance conversation or I think there used to be a thing called roundtables in some organisations where you're talking about performance about the, your team members. So imagine you're sitting around there and you're talking about Megumi, who is a, a, a team member in your team, and somebody says, oh, um, oh, Megumi, yeah, no, she's a good performer, but she's a bit quiet. What word comes to mind when somebody says about Megumi, oh, she's a bit quiet? <laughs> so I'd love for you to go to menti.com, which uh, Emily and um, Chelsea mentioned before that we'll be using this tool. So if you go to a device and go to menti.com, I would love for you to make a vote in terms of the thoughts of words or connotations that pick, you pick up when somebody says, oh, she, he or she is a bit quiet. So the code is 821257. I believe that will be on in the chat box as well. So if you go to menti.com, use the code 821257. And if you can put in some words that come to mind when you hear she's a bit quiet, then they'll show up on the screen. Hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Is anybody having trouble with the tool itself? No, here we go. It's coming in. Right, hopefully you can all see this. You can see shy, reserved, introvert, timid as being one of the more common words. So the bigger the word, obviously, the more people have said that. Does not speak out, lacks confidence, disengaged, non-contributor, scared, interesting isn't it and then there's a number of words like thoughtful uh, there's other words there resilient that's a new one I haven't had that one before active listener is another so what I found through all my talks I asked this question this is quite typical so the usual words that come to mind are the ones that are uh, more the timid, the shy, the not so confident, and so on. I think introvert is an interesting one because we associate quiet as being introverted, but uh, something that I'd like to challenge is that it's not only introverts that can be quiet as well. So let me get on to that. So thank you for sharing your thoughts. Um, more of the thoughts will come in and, and they'll get captured on this screen, but I'll just move on to the, the slides now. So never will I get this 
word quiet equals powerful. So when I ask, you know, what about people who are quiet? Are they are they powerful? And, you know, that is definitely not something that comes up, which is interesting, isn't it? So I guess what can happen is that we have this assumption or we have a, a, almost a conditioned response to see quiet as being somewhat not so powerful. And it is true in many cases where some people will remain quiet because they feel disempowered and that they are either, you know, they, they may lack confidence or they may be anxious. Um, that can be the case. And sometimes it's to do with personality, but there's also other reasons. So some of you, quite a few of you mentioned that introversion is one reason that somebody may be quiet. Well, that is certainly true, but I know of lots of gregarious introverts too, so it's not necessarily true. So I guess one message for you is please don't make that assumption. In fact, in my quietly powerful programs that I've been running, I've had plenty of extroverts come along as well. Other personality traits that can play a part is that uh, that you could have uh, a personality type that's very agreeable. So you don't want to rock the boat and therefore you don't speak up. Other personality traits like uh, being highly sensitive or uh, somewhat um, tend to get more anxious more easily, those sort of personality types can end up uh, showing up as quietly disempowered as well. Another one is conditioning, which I think is interesting. So I haven't looked at the list of names, but I'm, I'm guessing that there'll be quite a mix of um, cultural backgrounds in the room. And you can probably tell that um, I don't have a, a white Anglo-Saxon background. So um, my background is Japanese. And uh, if you can imagine Japanese are generally speaking, so generally, this is a generalisation, they are a little bit quieter. And typically in Asian cultures, they do value quiet. So when I was little, I, I was um, I was praised for being quiet and polite and uh, all of these things. I was a good girl, and uh, and therefore I grew up thinking uh, in my little girl's head that that is a good thing and there's nothing wrong with it. So it was often my mother would talk on my behalf, and you know it was easy. So I just kind of did that. So that could be a conditioning. Of course, it didn't work so well in the workplace, but it was still a conditioning that was embedded so deeply that at times it is hard for me to speak up. Um, but then other other times too, when I've spoken about that, other people have said, well, it's not just being Asian, you know, it could be about being Catholic. And so there's lots of other reasons why that could be the case. Um, this person said being a Catholic, they were told by the nuns never to stand out and be quiet and all of these things. So depends, depends on your upbringing as well. The third part is that it could be about power dynamics. And what I mean by power dynamics is who feels in the inner group and who feels in the outer group in any given group. So uh, often we talk about in the gender diversity field when you're the only woman in a room, of, room full of men, it's really difficult for a woman to speak up and be heard and be taken seriously. So that will be an example. But it could be another example of some of you, including men, may have found at times you had an opinion that was quite different to other people and it was difficult to raise that because you had a feeling that people were going to argue with you. So that could be a, a time when you feel quietly disempowered as well. So you can see that it's really not just about introversion. So the question that I, I suppose I've been working on is, well, how can you go from being quietly disempowered to quietly powerful, which is quite a different kind of state? The problem with being uh, quieter, though, is that we, there, there's in society and in particularly in organisations, there are some unconscious default assumptions that play out. And, for example, 
speaking equals contribution. I noticed in that that word cloud that there were people uh, who made a comment saying not contributing or not adding value or something like that. And so we assume that unless you're speaking, you're not contributing. Well, yes and no, when you're listening really well and if you can summarise something that, that people have been talking about for a very long time, and, you know, people are just talking at each other. And if you're able to synthesise what's been going on, that's a huge contribution in my view. Um, outspoken equals confident and competent. So those who speak, there's an assumption that they are confident and competent, which is not necessarily true. I'm sure you can see when you look around. And appearing confident, whatever that looks like, you know, whether it's the body language or whether it's how they uh, have a booming voice or whatever it might be, we equate that as being confident, which is also not true. I've had people that I've worked with who they appear confident, they, you know, they, they're a great public speaker and they're very entertaining and all of that. And one day I gave this person a little piece of feedback I thought could improve whatever they were doing and they reacted big time. And to me, that shows that that confidence is not really deeply inside. It's just on the outside. And then appearing confident also equals competent. Now, you know, that's not the case. I'm sure you've seen in organisations where somebody's looking confident and talking about all sorts of things and you're thinking that's all BS. <laughs> and, you know, you're thinking they don't know what they're talking about. So it's not true, but we have this assumption, particularly on first impressions, that somebody appearing confident is confident. And then finally, all of that combined, unless you appear confident, you are not leader-like. So appearing confidence is so important to becoming, to be assumed as being leader-like, again, is another assumption, which I think is interesting because I have met many, many leaders who are very quiet and reserved and they don't show that overt confidence and they are the best leaders. And the problem with all these assumptions are that often people are in their mid-career moving towards senior leadership and even senior leaders as well, particularly if you're a woman or in a minority group, we get this feedback and, and I've had this feedback being a, a woman and being Asian and all that. Um, and so you get this feedback saying you need, you need to be more confident, you need to speak up more, you're too quiet, you need to be believing in yourself. And many, many articles for women actually, <laughs> you see these sort of comments, you need to back yourself. And... Um, What's really troubling about this feedback is that if you think about when, when I get told to be more confident, I, get, I go into a spiral because I go, oh, my God, I'm not, I'm not, I, must, I, I don't look confident, so I mustn't be confident and, you know, I, I need to work on it. And so I start to get all these doubts in my head and so it's actually made things worse. And so they're all well-meaning but unhelpful feedback if you are noticing that somebody is not looking confident. And so the problem is we have this, we start to have this inner critic uh, going wild as a result of this. So I start to go, oh, I need to speak up. What would they think if I said that? I'm not adding anything. They won't listen anyway. So what would I say? So that gets in the way of being present and, and being the best that I can. So we become anxious, frustrated or disheartened. And as a result, we can feel like there's something wrong with us. And this, there's actually a psychological term for this called internalised marginalisation. So marginalisation is in all sorts of different contexts where you feel like you're on the outer or you are not um, taken seriously or listened to, etc. You, you're excluded in some way, shape or form. And that happens in the world, in, in organisations, in teams. 
But what's even more challenging to deal with is when that message is internalised. So for, a, you know, for many, many years and decades, actually, for me, being quiet and also being Asian, being a woman, meant that I had this little internal dialogue saying, oh, people won't take me seriously or, you know, I can't speak up because, you know, they, they, won't, um, they won't like what I say or they'll think I'm too different or, you know, those sort of internal voices hold us back. And as a result, what happens is most people die with their music still locked up inside them. And this is a quote by Benjamin Disraeli, which is not a great place to be. And so our real music, our unique music that each of us have gets locked up inside and we cannot shine the way that we could if we were to address this sense of disempowerment. So if I could do a poll, please. Emily, um, if you could put the poll up. The question is, have you ever felt disempowered, quietly disempowered, where you didn't feel like you had a voice or whether you felt like even if you did say something, you won't be heard or it could be that, you know, and it, and it really isn't about introversion. It is very much about whether you feel you have a voice or not. Interesting. Thank you. So quite a lot of sometimes... And one never, and quite a few oftens. Thank you. So it's interesting, isn't it? So I'm guessing that in a group of, I don't know whether it was 60 or 70 or so, it, not all of you would be introverted. So again, as I mentioned, it is not about being introverted. So then the question is, I'll just close that. Question is, so how do you work from being quietly disempowered to being quietly powerful? And that's been my work for the last nearly four years. And what I have done is I've interviewed quietly powerful leaders that I knew of or have been introduced to. And I've uncovered so many things about the power of quietly powerful leadership. And that's what I wanted to share with you. Because in particular, right now, with all that's going on, have you noticed some of the world leaders who are doing really well and, and leading their countries incredibly well? Angela Merkel will be one of them. And Angela Merkel has been uh, named or described as being a quiet leader anyway. So this is September 2017 when this article came out. And, and she, there's a whole article about her, about her upbringing and everything, um, and also her background as a scientist. And... Um, and it, it does talk about how she may be seen as this sort of mild and meek person, but she has this real quiet power. And, of course, you've seen more recently in articles that Germany has done very, very well. And this article came out very recently, probably last week or so. If you look at the highlighted part of it, you can see it talks about that she is the steady, sensible, uh, reasoned kind of leader who begs calm, reasoned thinking, and she is humble, so having the humble credibility of a scientist. So there's that quality of quietly powerful leadership that is incredibly useful in this time when things are uncertain and things can be chaotic. And I also got interviewed by the Courier Mail about that, and the title of the article they were trying to write, and I was part of it, was thought, thoughtful leadership in demand amid coronavirus uncertainty. And my thought about that is uncertainty means that not one person will ever know 
what's going to happen. And in fact, no, in this current environment, nobody really knows what's going to happen. So to have a leader who knows it all or who, um, who keeps dominating and don't allow people to contribute is somewhat dangerous. And you may have seen that around the world in places which have been um, quite dangerous and unfortunate. So poll number two, please, Emily. Question is, how many quietly powerful leaders can you think of in your world? So whether it's in the workplace or other places that you've seen leadership. So if it's just one, then that's none. It could be none. You can't think of anybody. It could be one. It could be a few. It could be lots. Okay, so we haven't got anybody saying none. So that's interesting. Oh, okay, there's two nuns. Right, really interesting, isn't it? So a few. So not too many people saying a lot, but quite a number of people say a few. What's interesting about quietly powerful leaders is that they're not in your face so that you may not notice them quite as much. But what you see is people or leaders who, are, who may not say a lot, but when they do, they have a huge impact. And I bet if you think of those sort of people, you can think of a few. And those quietly powerful leaders... Uh, sometimes um, have to put on a, a more uh, outspoken kind of face, if you like. So, for example, they do have to do public speaking and they may be brilliant public speakers, but actually they may be naturally very quiet. And so you may not even notice that they're naturally quiet leaders. Like um, uh, David was saying before, people like um, uh, Bill Gates and um, Warren Buffett and, and uh, George Lucas, I think all of them, they're all quite introverted by nature. But when they have to put on the, the face and they show up in public, they, they might be quite different. So the, oh, I'll close that down. Quietly powerful leadership is uh, what I was trying to research in writing the book. And these are all the leaders that I've interviewed. And uh, some of them didn't quite make it into the book, but most of them did. And I just wanted to share with you what I found through these interviews. And one is that the, there's some real common attributes that I found. And uh, you may not recognise some of these faces. I, I don't know whether you will, but um, there are CEOs, CFOs and uh, many senior organisational leaders as well as entrepreneurs. There's also a Paralympic gold medalist and also uh, the third woman to summit Everest as well. So there's an interesting mix of people in here. So the three attributes that I found include... One, the first one being very comfortable, and I deliberately said not confident, but comfortable. So it's not that they overtly show their confidence. It's just that they're just comfortable in their own skin. And how that shows up is they're so comfortable that they're happy to share their strengths and weaknesses. They're happy to um, admit that they've made a mistake and they're very happy to be uh, vulnerable with their group saying, I don't know the answers to this. And that allows the leaders to be authentic and, um, and also very um, comfortable uh, re relating to people and so other people feel comfortable around them as well, which also leads to the second attribute, which is about being present. Because of their comfort and because they feel comfortable within themselves, they don't they have, uh, they have ways of managing that internal critic and all the things that can distract. And so they can be very present with people. So in the interviews, I found that they were very present. And also the way they talked about relationships showed that they were very present with people. Where they, uh, they talked about relationships like mentors, mentees, people they've worked with. 
where they've kept in touch for 20, 30 years. So we're talking very deep relationships and high quality relationships. And to me, that is a huge power of quietly powerful leaders that uh, they, they just have that um, ability to connect at that level. The third thing uh, as a result of all of this too, and also because partially because they are quiet and they don't tend to crave attention, is that they are purposeful. What's interesting about these leaders, many of them were quite reluctant leaders. They didn't really think of themselves as leaders and they didn't really think they would take on a leadership role. And the only reason why they did take up a leadership role is because they saw a meaningful purpose for the role and they felt they could contribute to that, that they could make a difference in some way. And that is a really powerful reason for people to be in leadership, if you can imagine, for the people who are in their teams, you know that they're there for the purpose, not for themselves. And that is a leader that I'd like to work for. (laughs) So um, oftentimes they don't like to be the centre of attention and therefore they will absolutely allow other people to shine around them for the benefit of the collective and the benefit of the, the goal or purpose that they have. And so these attributes are very powerful and I suppose I share this with you, one, because to showcase quietly powerful leaders who already exist, but also to invite other leaders to consider using more of this quietly powerful approach to leadership. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it really doesn't matter. It just seems these are some really important qualities or attributes that can be powerful in leadership, particularly more and more as the world becomes chaotic and complex. So please do not underestimate your quiet powers. And I say all of you because every single one of us can access our quiet superpowers. As David said, meditation and mindfulness are fantastic tools to access our quiet superpowers. So things like that calm presence. I mean, when things are chaotic, imagine the impact and value of having a calm presence because emotions are contagious. And so one of the one of the feedbacks I've had personally actually is that I have a calming influence on people and part of it is to do with having a Japanese face where I don't show a lot of emotion <laughs> but it, part of it is that I have learned to access calm um, as a uh, just as a through practice and through meditation. And so I started this um, Calm in Chaos series of virtual sessions on a weekly basis so that people can have time to to access that calm in this current chaotic time. Um, Listening, observing and sensing, because you are calm and you can be present, you can hear, uh, see and observe and sense things that perhaps other people may not because they're so busy trying to think of what to say. They may also ask questions which uh, are very pertinent or very important in the context of the conversation because they've been listening and observing and sensing. Uh, It could be that they write because they can see and understand what's going on, Um, partially because they're very, they can be, uh, the quiet power can be about synthesising because you've listened so well, you can see the connections between different ideas. And then also because of all of that, it can help to shift perspective. Uh, You may have come across people in meetings where they have, um, uh, they've been listening for a long time, they haven't said anything, and then they just ask one question and everybody's like, oh, we didn't think about that. And so that might be a, a quiet power as well. And all of that is uh, also helped by the deep thinking that happens when you use your quiet power. 
I'm just wondering, there's somebody that's uh, not muted, but anyway. Um, David, did you have some questions or comments here? No, I was, I was just actually really interested when you were speaking about purpose there, Megumi, and yeah. you know, purpose would suggest really having, an, you know, an intrinsic connection. And, of course, we speak about values, and if you look at, say, the work of Dr. D. Martini and the importance of speaking to a person's highest values yes. and the intrinsic motivators when leading people. So I'm interested to know your observations between quietly powerful leaders and another group and how the value alignment sits. So, you know, living to your values, basically. So so you can live to your values, absolutely, but um, different people have different values. And so what I see of the quietly powerful leaders is that their values tend to be more about making a difference and doing what it, what is purposeful in their in their eyes, less of what's in it for me. Okay. Because and, and in, in particular, they're not really about uh, gaining power and control. They they don't go into leadership for that reason. In fact, they they don't want to um, because they don't want the attention. So that's probably where I'd make the distinction. Yeah, okay. Thank you. And uh, I guess the, the question for you is how would you rate your quietly powerful leadership abilities? I'm not saying that, you know, you always have to be quietly powerful, but some of these attributes and some of these skills that quietly powerful leaders uh, have, I wonder how much of that you're able to use or you have access to. So if you could go to menti.com again, please. And I've just listed a few of them so that you can uh, have a little vote. All right, so the code again is 821257. So some of the attributes or qualities that I've picked up are things like that calming influence. Yeah, so rather than um, building energy is another skill, but quietly powerful leaders in particular have that ability to have a calming influence. Being present and really listening, considering what people are saying, that deep thinking rather than that rushed thinking being purposeful and less self-focused. So how much of that are you able to access? Great, that's good to see. There's quite a lot of people accessing these quiet powers. So it's bouncing up and down, David. <laughs> it's uh, So the calming influence seems to be one that's not as strong and maybe the deep thinking, those two. And purposefulness may be the strongest at this point. Great, thank you. So I guess the question is how can you develop more of that and access more of that? And so... That's my, my work really and um, to help everybody access their quiet powers but in particular those people who are quieter to realise that they, not, they are not disadvantaged because they're quieter. I think that is also a really important part and to me our beliefs around leadership needs an update and so it's more expanded. I'm not saying that outspoken and dominant kind of leadership is, is not necessarily needed. There are times when sometimes that's needed uh, but I think we can expand our definition of good leadership in terms of what it sounds, feels and uh, looks like. And so that's why I started the Quietly Powerful Movement where I do talks 
and I I have been interviewing people when I do these programs. And the two objectives I have is to to challenge the definition of good leadership, and that's why I've been doing the talks and various um, organisational conversations around um, uh, highlighting their quietly powerful leaders and then also at an individual level, especially those people who feel quietly disempowered, to help them to feel empowered that they can use their quiet nature as their leadership strength. So I've been running public programs and I'm, I'm developing an online program right at this at this moment and some organisational programs from time to time. So I guess I'll leave it there, David, but um, these are my contact details and um, these are the books that I've written. I've written uh, the second book is my Quietly Powerful book. But uh, the first two chapters are free if you wanted to go to the website. But I know, David, you're giving away five books, so that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. Um, but, yeah, please feel free to get in touch with me if you have any further questions. I do have um, other videos and resources too, so I'm happy to share after the talk. So let's go into poll three and then we'll have a conversation, David. Oh, David, you're still muted. You can hear me okay now. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Actually, sorry, we'll, we'll uh, do the poll. Sorry, Emily. <laughs> we'll have a little chat first and then go to the poll. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so thanks for, for going through, um, you know, some really interesting information there. It's fantastic. So where, I'm curious to know, where, where did you get the idea? I know you've touched on some of this, but where did you get the epiphany moment to actually start the Quietly Powerful movement? Mm. So there's two parts to it. One is that I, it's uh, more of a personal thing because I am naturally quiet and I, I have felt disempowered in the past. And there was a moment where I realised how much that was affecting me. And it was a time when I was co-facilitating. I facilitate a lot of workshops and I facilitated, co-facilitated with a colleague who's my extreme opposite. And he's like the most gregarious, the loudest, the most entertaining guy who I love working with. But he started off a workshop and he had the whole room in fits of laughter in the first two minutes and he just kept going and I was sitting there waiting for my turn to do my part and I just started having these inner critics going, oh, my God, I'm going to bore them to death. Oh, my God, I'm going to be disengaging the group after all this laughter and it was just going mad. And then I, I did stand up and do my bit and it was absolutely fine. But a colleague of mine who was sitting in the room came up to me during the break and said, Makumi, what's going on? You're not quite yourself today. And I told her what was going on because, you know, she's a trusted colleague. And she said, Makumi, stop comparing yourself with your colleague because you and this colleague, because you're different, that's what brings value. So don't you, don't you dare put yourself down because you're different. And it was just a penny-dropping moment of, oh, my God, I've been putting myself down and... You know, I, I was managing okay, but I, that really hit me um, rather than just at an intellectual level. Uh, yeah. But the second thing, I suppose, is more at a professional level. As a, a leadership development and culture change consultant, yeah. I found that quietly powerful leaders do exist and they are totally underestimated and quite talented, quiet people are underestimated and under overlooked way too much. Yeah, fantastic. And obviously, you've interviewed, uh, you know, a whole raft of these, you know, exceptional, quietly powerful leaders. And, you know, in these really uncertain times, I'm interested to know, firstly, what advice you think some of these quietly powerful leaders would share if asked the question in terms mm. of advice for these, you know, crazy times we live in. But then I'm also interested in your opinion around the difference between 
being a quietly powerful leader in an office and in a remote working environment, mm. and any contrast contrasts with a, a non-quietly leader. Mm-hmm. So I'll start with the first question. So I think the advice would be use some of those quiet powers as a leader in a chaos so that, you know, being able to access calm and have that calming influence. So that means that you may need to be a little bit quieter and find your centre and do meditation and things that you talked about, David. So so you have that. And sometimes also just listening rather than doing all the talking because it it's very powerful, firstly, when things are uncertain to listen to lots of different people to gauge what's going on. But secondly, it's so important to listen to people who are struggling rather than trying to make it okay. So I think there's a few things like that that quietly powerful leaders do so so well. Yeah. Um, can you ask the second question again, please? Yeah, so it's in terms of, and actually just on the subject of listening, and I think the importance of listening is often underestimated. I have a phrase at work where I say, two is one mouth use them in direct proportions. Um, but, you know, because quite often you just hear, but you don't listen, right? Um, and the second part was, you know, the difference between being a quietly powerful leader in an office environment versus a remote environment and, mm. you know, any adjustments you've seen people have had to make. Mm. So I think one of the, um, uh, when you're remote, one of the, the things to watch out for as a quietly powerful leader, um, or particularly if you're a quiet leader and, you know, have a really access to your inner power, is to go back to your shell and not contact people for a while. I had a colleague who is highly introverted and he, he's a team leader and he said, um, oh, so we'll catch up once a week with my team. I think that'll work okay, wouldn't it? And I said... <laughs> I said, maybe not. I think there'll be team members who might want to talk to you every day. So that I think being conscious of the impact that you might have is important. But the, I think the power of the quietly powerful leader is, for example, in a virtual meeting setting, they are probably more attuned to people who are who may be feeling, uh, who may not feel heard. And that's true in a face-to-face context. In fact, I, I'm very sensitive to people who may not have been heard or they tried to say something and they couldn't because somebody talked over them. But I suspect in, even in a virtual environment, the, those leaders may be more attuned to that. And so they can be much more inclusive in that context just because they know what it's like to, to not be heard. Yeah, fantastic. So I think we're going to go on to poll number three, which is our last poll of the day. And this is around quiet team members. And if we could get the question up on the screen. Um, so it's the question is really inclusion. So how included do you think your quiet team members feel? A, or number one, very included, a little included, excluded. This would be interesting when the results start to come in. And, you know, I do put it to Megumi that maybe a lot of people, you know, and until, you know, the last couple of years, the concept of, you know, uh, being a quietly powerful leader hadn't particularly personally crossed my mind. You just naturally assume, oh, you know, that person's naturally a quiet person, but mm-hmm. it's sort of, you know, drawing out the the inner person, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so a little included is the, the winner there. There's yeah. a, Well, that's interesting. There's a few people saying they may feel excluded. So it could be that they haven't been able to speak in a virtual meeting particularly, um, I do find it harder in a virtual meeting because you can't speak at the same time and, you know, it just gets completely lost. And yeah. so I think the virtual setting can be difficult. 
Um, and I think one of the things that leaders really do need to be conscious of is not make assumptions about if somebody's quiet that they don't have anything to say or whether they're not even thinking. Again, like going back to that very first question that I asked, uh, very some very dangerous assumptions there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in large virtual formats, what we've been trying to do as a business is almost break people into small working groups and keep variety or, you know, there was a comment around, you know, have a tennis ball and you throw it up and call someone's name and the other person has a ball and catches it. Mm -hmm. And just wait and bring the group together as a whole as yep. well as small groups so that yep. everyone can feel they have a voice. Yeah. The other the very practical tool that I suggest people do use is the raise hand button. Um, yep. So I've been using it in a leadership program where, you know, you don't want people talking at the same time. And so I just ask people, if you do have something to say, use the hand button because I'll come back to you. But the, the onus is then on the facilitator or the leader managing the meeting to make sure that you get back to that person with the raised hand. So yeah. that's that's certainly a good tip for the virtual. Yeah, fantastic. So I think we're, because um, amazing conversation, We're uh, we've got about 10, 15 minutes left or so. So I've got quite a few questions from the group that have been coming through. So we might go straight into some questions from the audience, Magume, if that's okay, okay with you. Yeah. So question one, this is from uh, Lauren Wilkinson. Do you have any tips for being heard in a predominantly male environment? Coming from a, a woman, obviously. <laughs> so, um, so there's two levels of that. So one is more of a, a technique and a skill type of level. And uh, there's been lots of advice, actually. I've read articles and various things um, where you can sit somewhere where, where you're visible rather than sit in the corner where people may not see you. Uh, make sure you get some support from somebody. So if you know that you're going to be spoken over, for example, you've had that in the past, you might ask some support from a, a trusted colleague or even the chair or the facilitator. Um, I actually had a really interesting case where I was um, a co-facilitator with a, a male colleague. Um, he was an American guy, very extroverted, probably about 60 years old, and we were going into an executive leadership team. And we walked in together and I, I was the um, designer of the program, um, but the first five minutes the leader of the team only spoke to my colleague. Right. <laughs> and, and I actually warned him. I said, that could happen. It's happened to me in the past. And so I said to him, if it happens, can you please make sure you can do something to include me in the conversation? And, um, and this colleague said, oh, surely that doesn't happen these days. And sure enough, it happens in the first five minutes. So, so preparing people like that can really help as well. It's just unconscious. It's, you know, they didn't mean badly or anything like that. So that's at the technique level. The, there's also more of a mindset level. I think this is the internalised marginalisation that I talked about, David, and it's this whole this little voice saying, oh, I won't be heard anyway. Or, you know, even if I said something, people are just going to speak over. Or, you know, this, that in itself holds us back. And so we have to manage our own internal state and own internal dialogue, even if it has happened in the past, to be able to manage that. So that, that's more of a mindset and managing internal critics and internal voices. Yeah, fantastic. Um, next question in from uh, Alan Lindsay. I found during my career um, that being quietly powerful is great if and when you get to the top. But often to get there, you have to break through a barrier of the loud, brash and overtly confident 
that is often what you find one or two steps down. And it might just be worth mentioning, which I can really recommend, is the most recent book out about Tim Cook, the Apple CEO, who's obviously come up and is now an amazingly quietly powerful CEO. But his story and his journey is is definitely something that might help Alan. But yeah, that's the question, Magume. Yeah, yeah. So um, the quietly powerful leaders that I interviewed, some of them felt like that, but not all. So they... Part of it is that they they were lucky to find some sponsors who saw their potential and saw that they added a great deal of value in their natural way. Um, others had to, of course, develop some skills. So I, I suppose it's twofold. One is that if you appreciate your own skill set as well as your quiet nature and different attributes enough, then you'll bring it more Uh, and use it uh, more effectively and people will notice that. But the second thing is that alone won't help you in the sense that you will have to develop some skills. Like public speaking, if you want to become a senior leader, it's just something that you have to do. And uh, for me, a good 20 years ago when I started facilitating and standing up in front of big groups was scary as I was just so nervous but now I feel quite comfortable because I've been doing it for so long (laughs) so it's these are skills and that doesn't mean I've changed I'm completely you know still have the same core um core type of style and um and uh, way of being but it's just that I've added skills on top of it yeah do you find it easier to speak to a group of people virtually or in person or doesn't it really make any difference to you know it's interesting I find it um what, one of the things I like about face-to-face is that I can see people and their reactions. So in, in when, even when I'm doing all the talking, I'm actually seeing it as a two-way. So I'm watching people, I'm observing whether they're engaged or not, et cetera. So in a virtual setting, uh, I can't see everybody, so that is a little harder. <laughs> um, and, and actually, one of the things that I find hard about virtual is that you're on the spot, like you're the centre of attention. Yeah. It's like, and, and I can see my own face. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> right, right. Um, we've got a, a few more questions coming. We've got time for probably three more questions. So Andrew T asks, how do quietly powerful people operate well on social media platforms? Okay. Um, I think they can do really well. Um, once they get over the the hurdle of I don't want to attract attention. So I struggled a lot with social media for a number of years because I just had this fear of standing out, which is another one of my my little conditioning inner dialogues that I have. But um, I, I, I got over it by saying to myself, well, I've got something useful to say and people have told me that it's useful, so why not share? And once I've got to that point... Uh, I don't mind writing and I don't mind sharing things uh, in my own way. So I'm not the, you know, look at me type of social media person. I'm just saying, well, here's something that might be useful for you to want to have a look kind of um, social media person. So that seems to work well. Yeah, fantastic. A couple more questions. So John Reardon asks, when you say there are times when outspoken leadership is needed, can you give an example of this? And also conversely, when what situations are best for quietly powerful leadership? Mm-hmm. So I think in an emergency when things have to happen now, I think an outspoken or a dominant leadership is totally necessary. You know, you don't want to be in a, 
uh, in a building with fire where people are just consulting everybody saying, what should we do? We need somebody who says, all right, we need to do this, that, you know, so you need that directive dominant type of leadership, absolutely. Um, and actually one of my interviewees was a military leader. He was uh, uh, the Rear Admiral of the Australian Navy and he spoke about the power of his quietly powerful leadership in a military context where you think that the outspoken dominant styles will be the most valued. He said, yes, absolutely, in an operational context. So, again, similar to an emergency context, when things need to be done and done in a certain way, absolutely necessary to have that style. But he is a quietly powerful leader himself, and he said that 80 to 90% of, of his work was not in operation, it was in strategizing. And in that context, talking to a range of people and listening to all the experts in different fields in a military context was the key to being successful. And so stepping back rather than you making up your mind about what to do, to incorporate everybody's thinking and really thinking through things. So again, a deep thinking um, mode as well, that becomes really important. So I think the more complex the world becomes and the more uncertain the, the world becomes, quietly powerful leadership is needed in my view. Yeah. And the next question from Thomas Tomchik asked is really about the juxtaposition between, you know, the more outspoken leadership, if you like, versus, you know, more uh, quietly powerful approach. And are the two interchangeable? Have you come across people who can, you know, deviate between the two? So I, I think it, depends on the context you can. Uh, so, you know, there, as I mentioned earlier when I was talking about have you ever come across or how many quietly powerful leaders do you know of, there are quietly powerful leaders who are naturally very quiet and they'll, they'll you know, often just be quite reserved and like to chat with people one-on-one, etc. those sort of people who get on stage and they are the most amazing performers or public speakers. So to me, you can have that skill. And, and in fact, a lot of comedians, actors, musicians, performers are quite reserved and introverted and, and so on. So it is quite possible. And on the flip side too, I have many colleagues who are very gregarious and extroverted, but when I have a one-on-one conversation with them, they listen, they go quiet and they, you know, really calm down. So it's, yeah, I think you can. It's, it's, but it's also using your natural tendency too. Fair enough. We just had one last question, which I wanted to just, if I could just get a quick minute on it. Um, so uh, Joe asks that often management don't always recognise the quieter people on the basis that perhaps the louder ones are, are more on the radar because they're more on people's faces, basically. So how would you advise correcting this? And do you have any suggestions on how to shine the spotlight on the quieter ones? Well, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. <laughs> so I'm trying to speak to organisations about what you're missing out on because you're, what, you're, what organisations are doing is they're wasting talent. Yeah. You have so many talented people who just get overlooked because they don't speak enough and that is such a waste. And, yeah. uh, and there are plenty of leaders who do recognise these quiet achievers and quiet talent and potential quietly powerful leaders um, so if your organisation has leaders who do recognise that, you're very lucky, but many organisations don't, to the extent that some of the systems and processes are set up to favour those who are outspoken. 
So oh, think sorry. about, yeah, think about talent assessment centres and things like that. It's often a one day you cram everything in and you, it's all about group work and preparing really quickly, those sort of activities. And I have now heard a number of cases where people have come out of that, people who are highly influential and great leaders but a little little quieter and perhaps one that influences one-on-one rather than kind of like a loud group kind of situation those those people came out being told that then they don't have leadership potential. Now, I think that's a real problem because I know one person personally who came out and being told that they don't have leadership potential and I know she did because she had influenced three general managers and 150 leaders through a transformation. And to me, that took years. You cannot measure that in a day. Yeah. So, yeah, I think systems processes as well. Um, but also organisationally, uh, there needs to be more recognition about the waste of talent. So to me, the message is stop wasting your talent. Fantastic. So we're going to do the, we've done the random prize draw. I'm just waiting for the, the names to come through. But a fun question I like to ask at the end, because we're all cooking more at home, given that restaurants and bars, <laughs> yeah. is what's your favourite isolation recipe? Oh, my God. <laughs> I haven't actually done anything special. <laughs> I, I had two emails come through saying, oh, share us your isolation recipe, you know, those emails going around. And I, I was thinking, I don't have anything special. <laughs> but I do a good um, homemade Japanese curry, gluten-free, because wow. <laughs> I'm gluten-free. So I have to make it um, homemade because all the all the roux that you buy in the Japanese shops that all have wheat in it. So I do my own and I think it's pretty wicked. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for sharing. So the prize winners and the prize is of the your latest book, Quietly Powerful and a Granite Keep Cup. Um, Carmel Liberero, Debbie Gardner, Julia Steele, uh, Sean Bester and Vijay Akinpali. So congratulations. Um, we'll be in touch to get uh, your address details to send them through. That's amazing. Um, so we're about out of time. Um, we've got an event with one of the key leaders of Amazon next week that the lights will be going out. Uh, like them or loathe them, Amazon are, you know, the number one by country mile in cloud computing. So we're going to be, um, we've got one of their senior people, Andrew Boyd, um, in conversation next Wednesday. So we'll send the invites out to that. And I just wanted to mention as well something that we're particularly proud of at Granite Consulting, which is around our... Um, our, our uh, virtual recruitment solution that we've developed for essential services. So if you haven't seen this and you'd like more information, um, we can share it with you. It's basically a zero profit recruitment solution for essential services uh, to help out the people who are helping society so much. And it's also prioritizes people who are out of work through no fault of their own. So we're doing two things. We're providing a great service to the people that help in keeping us safe and keeping society moving and doing our bit to get people who have lost their jobs through no fault of their own back into the workforce um, at zero profit margin. So if you want more information, please drop us a, drop us a note on that. We're delighted to tell you how that works. But we're out of time. So, Megumi, um, just want to say thanks so much for taking the time, uh, time out of your busy schedule. Uh, really, really interesting discussion. And uh, I wish everyone um, a great rest of the, rest of the week and stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you. Thank you, David.